May I begin with a recitation of the words of an ancestor which goes something like, <clears throat> Now all Buddhas and all ancestors who uphold the true teaching, who uphold the true teaching, have made it the true path of enlightenment to sit upright in the midst of concentrating on friendliness or the concentration of friendliness. Concentrating on self-fulfillment, which is friendship. Good friendship. And <clears throat> this realm of friendship uh, in which we sit upright is basically inconceivable. It, it is an inconceivable realm of mind which surrounds consciousness. And in consciousness, we see the appearance of bodies, others' bodies and our own, and then we, in consciousness, we, we sit the body upright, and then we sit in the midst of this immeasurable, inconceivable mind of friendship. As Suzuki Reshi said, we sit, when we practice sitting, when we practice zazen, we sit in the middle of a big, invisible world. But I would, I would, uh, his English was good, but I would say, not big, but immeasurable. It, it's not big or small. It's beyond all of our ideas of size and shape. That's the world we sit in. This is the inconceivable world of Buddha's friendship and our friendship our relationship with enlightenment. That's where we sit, but we can't see that world, but we can see this body, and we can give this body and this mind, <coughs> this consciousness, to the practice of sitting upright in the midst of awareness of this inconceivable mutual process of friendship. And this is the path this is the true path of, of enlightenment. That st statement, <clears throat> which to make clear, I'm rendering self-fulfillment, self-fulfilling samadhi as friendship samadhi, that statement is in the middle of a text <clears throat> called Wholehearted Negotiation of the Way or negotiating the way of Buddha. And at the beginning of that text, it says something like, all Buddhas and all ancestors have a, a wondrous method. And the standard of that method is 
this awareness of self-fulfillment, this awareness of friendship. And sitting upright is the authentic gate for entering into the friendship. So I'm talking about this friendship, and then you are practicing sitting upright. And without doing anything, without moving anything, without changing anything, you just sit upright. And there's an opportunity to enter into the realm where you already are, and to let it enter into your consciousness. And to be free of your consciousness in this friendship. Sometimes people come and talk to me about practice, and after we talk for a while, they often say, I already knew that. Why do I keep forgetting? And and then sometimes people ask, how can I remember better? People would like a a little kind of like a little thing that they could clip onto themselves that would remind them to be friendly to everyone and respect everyone and so on, which that'd be nice, I suppose. But then they'd forget to put the, the thing on. <laughs> how can I remember to wear it? How can I remember to turn it on? And how can I remember to turn it off when I don't want to practice anymore? <laughs> And I, I actually don't have one of those to give to people. So I, but the, we have a, so a different kind of a thing to help you remember. And the, 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 it's the practice of revealing and disclosing your forgetting. If you remember, you remember, and that's wonderful. If you forget, that's not the end of the story, because if you forget, when you notice that you've forgotten, you can reveal and disclose that forgetfulness. I forgot to be friendly to this person. I forgot to be respectful. I forgot to listen to the cries of the world. I thought I got distracted. I thought I had something more important to do than listen to the cries of the world. I had something more important to do than to be Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva. After all, I don't have to be Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva. She's already doing that. I don't have to do that. But yesterday I said I wanted to join her in that practice, and I forgot. By revealing and disclosing that forgetfulness, that 
interruption of the faith in the practice of listening to the cries of the world and being friendly to all beings by revealing and disclosing that in the presence of the Buddhas and ancestors, that revelation of th that disclosure melts away the roots of forgetting. So it isn't, it, you know, if you remember, you remember to remember, great. But if you forget, by revealing that, that revelation melts away the roots of being distracted. The practice of confession and repentance has the power to do this. Melting the roots of distraction from the bodhisattva way. If you aspire to the practice of Avalokiteshvara, if you aspire to listen to the cries of the world, moment by moment, day and night, like it says in the Kanan Gyo that we chant sometimes in well-being ceremonies, it says moment by moment, night and day, think of Avalokiteshvara. Moment by moment, think of listening to the cries of the world. And then we forget after we finish the chant. But, if, but we can notice that we forgot. And then we can check, do I aspire to great compassion? Have I received the precept of great compassion from another, from the bodhisattvas? Have they given this to me? And now do I aspire to practice it? Yes, I do. And I forgot, and I confess it. And how do I feel? I'm sorry. And do I want to go back and try again? Yes, I do. The great Bodhisattva Asanga says that the essence of Bodhisattva precepts is fourfold. First, you receive the Bodhisattva precepts or receive all of them or, or one of them, like you receive the precepts of listening to the cries of the world from another. You receive it. And then you aspire to practice it. First, you receive correctly from another. Second, you aspire to practice it. Third, you fail. You forget. Failing at practicing the precepts is an element in the essence of practicing the precepts. You don't have to fail all the time. <laughs> and when you receive the precept at that moment, when you receive it, you don't fail. You do receive it. And when you aspire to practice it, you don't fail. You do aspire to practice it. You're a success. When you say, I want to practice it, you're a success. You remember probably what you're saying you want to practice at that moment. So tonight, 
one of our members will, as will aspire to practice the Bodhisattva precepts, and she will say, yes I, yes, I do. I do want to practice these. From now on, and even after realizing the Buddha body, I want to practice these precepts of compassion. She will receive them and aspire to them. But one of the practices she will receive is the practice of confession and repentance, because she might forget in the future. And if she forgets, if she fails at what she aspires to, then she can perhaps notice it, and then she can say, I forgot. I'm sorry. So, receive the precepts, aspire to them, fail, confess, and say you're sorry. And the fourth dimension of practicing these precepts is not failing anymore. So we receive, we aspire, we fail. We confess and repent. We receive, we aspire, and we succeed. We receive, we aspire, we fail, and we confess and repent. That process of success, which is great, and failure, which is confessed and repented, leads to consistent success in what we really want. Nobody's telling you to do this. Nobody's forcing you to wish to be a bodhisattva. Nobody, well, actually, maybe there are some people out there <laughs> who are forcing people. Is anybody out there forcing people to be bodhisattvas in this area? Maybe there are some people who are on the streets, you know, forcing people to practice compassion. You must practice compassion. Uh, that's kind of nice, actually. But <laughs> I think it works better if you, in your heart, wish to. And then, and then you will forget. Because lots, lots is happening. Besides reminding you, or it's you have to train a long time before you realize that everything that happens is actually saying, please remember to be a good friend. I hate you. That really means, be my good friend. <laughs> You're worthless. That really means, be a good friend. I don't want you anymore. That means, be a good friend. Go away. That means, be a good friend. It takes a, you have to train a long time before you don't get confused <laughs> by what's going on. And even sometimes people say, be a good friend, and you think, well, they're not sincere. They don't mean it. Do you really mean that? <laughs> and part of what might be helpful to enter this samadhi of friendship, this concentration on friendship, is looking at the stories, old stories, and newer stories, um, and even right now stories of friendship. So I told a story of one of the family styles of Chinese Zen, of this monk named Dharma Eyes who went to visit uh, Earth Store, the master Earth Store, and um, he went with his friends, and his friends were not 
So interested in studying with Earth Store, Master Earth Store. So three of them went off, and he stayed and studied with him. And then one of those elder practitioners came back to visit, and Earth Store had a conversation with him about planting the fields and making rice balls. Do you remember? And so I don't, I don't know how much longer Dharma Eyes stayed and studied with Earth Store, Master Earth Store, but, and I, it doesn't tell us chronologically when this happened, but at some point, uh, Dharma Eyes went to Earth Store, Ma Master Earth Store, and said, I'm going on pilgrimage. I'm going to uh, study extensively. I'm going to study extensively. S some people think that meant he was going to leave and study someplace other than that temple. Someone else might say he was saying, I'm going to really study with you now. But either way, he said, I'm going to study extensively. And Earth Store said, what is studying extensively? What is pilgrimage? And Dhamma Eyes said, don't know. And Earth Store said, not knowing is most intimate. And I know many of you have heard that story before. So it's about these two people. It's about their friendship. It seems that at some point, Dharma Eyes finished his training with Earth, earth Womb and left him and went um, to make himself available to students and to peers for further friendship. And um, so one story about his ongoing process of friendship in Dharma practice was actually an occasion where his friend, Master Shushan, came to visit him. And they were having, they were having conversations about the teachings. And there's a teaching um, which is uh, written in Chinese. It's a, it's a po long poem. And um, and the poem says something like, um, just avoid picking and choosing. Just avoid uh, loving and hating. And the way is pretty easy. But if there's a hair's breadth, breadth difference, then it's like 
the distance, the way is like the distance between heaven and earth. If there's a least like or dislike, the mind is lost in confusion. The way is far away. And so now I'm telling you that, and then uh, I can discuss that with you now, maybe. May I? This statement kind of relates to the earlier story about somebody raising up one finger. What was his name? What was the, the guy who raised the one finger? What was his name? Celestial Dragon. He raised one finger to Judy, and then he pointed at Judy. This one finger is about the Dharma vehicle is free and untrammeled. There's no place it doesn't reach. But if there's the slightest discrepancy, it's like the distance between heaven and earth. In other words, we must practice with no discrepancy. Otherwise, the path which permeates everything and pervades everywhere seems distant. It's not distant, but if we make any separation between this finger and anything else, between who we are, it's not that who I am is the Dharma. If I'm Friendly, it's not that me being friendly is the, is the way. It's no separation between the way I am and the way. That's the way. But if I think I am the way, there's a separation. If there's the slightest discrepancy, then it's like there is a discrepancy, even a little. If there's confusion separate from clarity, then it's like the way is someplace else. But when there's no separation between confusion and clarity, then we have Confusion Buddha or Clarity Buddha, whichever is the case. Sometimes you're clear. Well, that's fine. But Clarity's not the Buddha way. No discrepancy in that Clarity is the Buddha way. The Buddha way, there's no discrepancy between the Buddha way and that Clarity. And the same for confusion. And when there is no discrepancy in confusion, that's clarity. If there's no picking and choosing, that's clarity. However, we do not attach to no picking and choosing, because then there's like a discrepancy. Anyway, that's background for the story. 
people are talking about a life where there's not the hair's breadth difference between anything, between each other, between our life and the Buddha way. So, Dharma Eyes says to Master of the Mountain, Fa Yen says to Shushan, if there's a hair's breadth difference, it's like the distance between heaven and earth. How do you understand that? And Shushan said, if there's a hair's breadth difference, it's like the distance between heaven and earth. And Dharma says, how can you understand like that? And Shushan says, I'm just like this. How about you? And Dharma says, if there's a hair's breadth difference, it's like the distance between heaven and earth. And Shishan bowed. Doesn't say whether it was a standing bow or full prostration. This is a, one of the methods of Fayen's good friendship. And uh, this method is, um, you, you might notice, it's used by a lot of Zen teachers, this kind of friendship. And Fayen used it repeatedly. Want to see a repetition? I hear some laughter. Um, Fayen had a monastery, and the director of the monastery, who also became a Zen master, his name was Director Tsi. And um, Fayen said to him, Director Tsi, you never come to my room to discuss the teaching. And director said, oh, didn't you know? I had entry into reality with Chung Lin, Master Chung Lin. And Fa Yan said, oh. Hmm, really? What happened? And there's two versions of the story. I'll tell you one, and maybe I'll tell you the other one some other day. Here's the first version. I asked the teacher, what is the self of the student? And he said, the fire god comes seeking fire. And I entered reality 
when I heard that. And Fayan said, hmm, that's a good teaching. But I'm not sure you understood it. So, this is a friendship where the friend's inquiring of the other friend to see how come he doesn't come to talk about the Dharma and he finds out the other person's saying he's, he's enlightened and doesn't need to talk to the teacher anymore. The teacher's wondering about that. So he finds out that the guy's already enlightened and this is how he understands and he thinks, oh, I think maybe you should come and talk to me. <laughs> I don't think you understood very well. The, teachings, the teacher's teaching was good, but Oh, excuse me. And he said, well, tell me more. I don't think you got it. Tell me more. And then uh, the director says, it's like, it's like the fire god who lives in the realm of fire is going someplace to seek fire. It's like the students going someplace to study themselves. That's what the teacher was saying. And, and then Fa Yen said, yeah, that's what I thought. I don't think you don't understand. And the director, containing his rage with his friend, who he didn't think was his friend, I guess, left the monastery. I don't know if he said respectfully, you know, Master, I quit. I'm, I'm out of here or if he just left. But anyway, he left the monastery, and uh, at some point, as he was leaving, he, st he stopped. Like Angulimala, he stopped, and he thought, he's a teacher of a lot of people. Maybe he's got a point. Perhaps I should go back. Meantime, back at the monastery, <laughs> Fayen said to his attendant, if that monk comes back, he can be saved. If he doesn't, he won't be able to be saved. Fayen didn't say get out, but somebody said get out. And then somebody else says, come back. His, uh, I would say, his conviction was not clear. When Fayen said, no, I don't think you understand, there was a hair's breadth difference in his understanding. He didn't understand. No, I don't, I, you don't understand, Buddha. So then he came back to the teacher Fayan. And he said, can we go over that again? And, and uh, Fayan said, sure. Ask me the, ask me the question that you asked Ching Lin. So the director says, or former director says, 
what is the self of the student? And Fa Yan said, the fire god comes seeking fire. And there was no discrepancy. And the director became Zen master director. <laughs> One time I was <clears throat> at a, a tea, a somewhat formal tea, in Suzuki Roshi's room in San Francisco Zen Center. And uh, we were sitting, we were going to sit on zabutans. You know what a zabutan is? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a futon that you, that you za on. <laughs> za means sitting. It's a sitting mat. So we were standing by our zabutans, and uh, I adjusted my zabutan with my foot. And Suzuki Reishi turned to a person next to me and kind of yelled at him and said, we do not move the zabutans with our feet. And he was kind of startled, like, why is he talking to me? <laughs> But I had a feeling I knew who, who, who he was talking about. <laughs> this is a friendly gesture by the teacher to show me this one finger. There's no discrepancy. All over the place, no discrepancy. <laughs> One day, Fayan came into the hall. And uh, in, uh, in, uh, in lecture halls, sometimes they have these, like these, these uh, blinds here that roll up and down. They have them over the doors. So he came into the hall, and then he pointed to the blinds. The name of this story is, Fayen points to the blinds. <laughs> and two monks went to the blinds and raised them up. And he said, One gain, one loss. And then later generations try to figure out who was the gain and who was the loss. But maybe the monks knew. Maybe one monk knew there was a hair's breadth difference 
and the other one knew nothing. One thought, maybe I'm the one he's, maybe I'm the one he's criticizing. Startled. The other one thought, he might be criticizing the other one, but really it's about me. The great teacher Nan Chuan has the same method of friendship all over the place. So he's he's with his he's with his boys. <laughs> In those days, all the boys hung out together. No girls were allowed in the, in the hall sometimes. So he's with his boys, and so he says to one of them, <clears throat> last night it was really windy. And the monk said, last night it was really windy. And, he, and then he said, It blew down the pine tree outside the front gate. And the monk said, It blew down this pine tree outside the front gate. And then he turned to another boy and he said, Last night it was really windy. And the monk said, What wind? And he said, It blew over the pine tree outside the front gate. And he said, What pine tree? And he said, one gain, one loss. <laughs> He's trying to tune his boys' minds to no discrepancy. Practicing what he preaches. The way is perfect and all-pervading. What need is there to practice? Wouldn't both the gain and the loss be a discrepancy? Wouldn't both gain and loss be, be a discrepancy? Gain or loss, wouldn't it be a discrepancy? You missed it. <laughs> Seems like discrepancies to me. Don't copy me, Grandma. Well, she doesn't want you to do it. She doesn't want you to do it. Oh, that one, yeah. <laughs> that one. <laughs> I don't know about New York, but it's probably the same these days. But in California, we do not call strong girls bossy. <laughs> we call them leaders. You don't call strong boys bossy. You call them leaders. 
we call girls who are strong leaders. And I have a little leader. And so do you. <laughs> we have strong girls who are leading us. So Fayen, although he's not a direct disciple of Nanchuan, we learn from people who are not in our direct family line. We can, we can learn from them. I'm not a direct descendant of Fayen or Nanchuan, but they are my ancestors too, my dear ancestors. But I'm not their successor. They're my teachers but I'm not their successor. However, in the case of Fayen, his line did not make it literally to the present. So I give my life to reinvigorate his lineage, even though I don't say I'm a successor of him. Do you understand? The Soto and, the, the, the Soto and, and Rinzai lines of Chinese Buddhism have successors in the present, but the others, those lines died out in the thousand years. But we can re recreate and re-energize those lineages by venerating their stories. So we have five, we can have five houses again. We just can't be successors, but we can have the houses. But that's okay, that there's no successors only the houses. But if we have successors, they're, they're fine too. Houses with successors and houses where there's no teachers. And one of the lines which did not die out, the Rinzai line, the teacher Rinzai, his teacher was named Wang Bo. Linji Rinzai, that's his name. His teacher's name Wang Bo, and Wang Bo said, don't you know that in all of China, there's no teachers of Zen? And a monk came up and said, well, what about all these monasteries where people are practicing Zen? He said, I didn't say there's no Zen, I just said there's no teachers. Suzuki Reishi is not well known for ten reuse one finger. Is that right? Did you know he had that teaching, Suzuki Rashi, before I came? It's not one of his main teachings that people think about him, but he, at one point in history, this was his teaching. One finger. This is the conviction you must have when you practice. So that whatever you are is whatever you are Buddha. Yes. Could you could you speak more loudly? No discrepancy between being stuck. <laughs> but. 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 <laughs> 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 
I do have a way. Mm -hmm, I do. Did you hear her say, how can I remember that? Did you hear her say, how can I remember? What did I say earlier? What? What did I say again? You, the way you can do this, the, the, the practice I have for you, is when you don't do it in the city, you can confess you didn't do it. And you might say, well, but I, I guess I'll have more opportunities in the city than I have in the monastery. <laughs> Maybe you will. That's much true. But whatever whenever you forget in the city, the practice is, to confess that you forgot in the presence of the Buddhas and see if you're sorry and say you're sorry. And that will make the city a monastery. And in the monastery, people forget too, right? And when they forget in the monastery, how do they remember? They remember by confessing that they forgot. You remember because you remember, and you, when you forget, you remember by admitting that you forgot. The practice of confession and repentance, whether you're in the monastery or outside, the pure and simple color of true practice, the true mind of faith, the true body of faith, is to do the practice, of course, and if you forget, to confess and repent. And you might say, but then I have to confess and repent a lot. So then the true color of 
practice is going to be going on a lot. But even in a monastery, people forget the one finger. So it seems likely if they forget in monasteries where everything's supporting to remind them that they'll probably forget in the city. But when they forget in the monastery, the practice is the same as the practice in the city when you forget. And when you remember in the city, it's the same as when you remember in the monastery. But it's, it seems to be, you know, what do you call it, sociologically and anthropologically, we can perhaps find that people remember more often in the monastery. Because they have all these bells and stuff going all the time. <laughs> like here, too. When you're in this place, the bell rings. Oh, Zazen, you're right. What is that bell for? Oh, I, I know it's... Oh, what's that? Oh, it's for meditation. I re, oh, and then you remember meditation. But again, when, you're in, when you hear the bells on the subway or the horns on the taxi cabs, you may not be able to... They, you may not know that they're saying meditate. So you go someplace where all the sounds and even the birds in the trees are saying meditate. And you, so you remember more. But you still forget. In the most perfect monastery, there's somebody there who's forgetting. Or you could say, we're not going to let anybody in until they never forget. <laughs> no new students for now. And, and all the students who are here who are forgetting, we're going to kick them out. But kick them out means kick them out. And when they're outside the gate, they think, OK, I'm going to go back and study more. So the practice of confession and repentance is how we will melt away the roots of transgressions wherever we are. So perhaps in the future, Rob, they'll be teaching stories of Zen masters in the city on the subway. Yeah, tomorrow I'll tell, tomorrow, well, tomorrow I'll tell a story about a Zen master in a restaurant in the city. <laughs> And you can help me remember the name of the city. I forgot it. That's for tomorrow. Zen masters go to the city to train people to make everything no discrepancy, to, make, to realize the way is all pervading and perfect. But you have to practice it. And we say, yes, I want to. And then we forget. And then the Zen master says, well, let's do confession and repentance, shall we? And then we say, yes. And we do it. And we do it over and over. And the roots of transgression melt away in the city. And then we go and they say, I think I'll go visit the monastery and see if I can practice there too. The monastery is not an extension of ordinary life. The, the point of the, our practice of zazen is not an extension of ordinary life. But we want to extend our practice into ordinary life. So Master Nanchuan, he lives in a monastery. What's the name of his monastery? Nanchuan. The name of Nanchuan's monastery is Nanchuan. <laughs> mm. 
Okay? So Nanchuan's at Nanchuan, and he's out in the fields uh, cutting grass one day. Chinese grass. <laughs> because it's growing in China. All the grass in China is Chinese. <laughs> China has a monopoly on Chinese grass. They, they export it, you know, and we buy it from them. They make it into little mats and stuff, and they can now make it more, less expensively than the Japanese. So we buy these Chinese grass mats with Chinese grass. So Nanchuan's out there cutting the grass with his sickle. And a monk is climbing up the mountain. And he says, I've come. I'm looking. I want to meet Nanchuan. And Nanchuan says, this cycle, this sickle is sharp. And the monk said, well, that's nice. But I want to meet Nanchuan. <laughs> And Nanchuan says, it costs $30. Yeah. He wants to meet Nanchuan. This cycle is sharp. So Nanchuan should be able to be available to be met as Nanchuan. And there he is. And the monk misses it. And then he misses it again. And Nanchuan keeps saying, there's no difference between Nanchuan and this sickle. And even Nanchuan saying to the monk, does, he doesn't get it. He could have met another monk who was saying, where's Nanchuan? And that monk could have raised the sickle too and said, this sickle is sharp. But that's not the story. We, it's loaded with Nanchuan. <laughs> and the monk still can't see it. So maybe that monk confessed, I'm sorry. I thought Nanchuan was somebody other than you. And obviously you are Nanchuan. And I thought Nanchuan was somebody other than a sharp sickle. There was a hair's breadth difference. So I asked again, and again you showed me there's no difference, and I missed it again. Maybe he didn't the second time, I don't know. Can I tell one more story? Do you have a question? What is it? My question is, how does not knowing help us realize this? How does this help you understand not knowing? Hmm? How does seem different help you understand this? Right. Any doubts? Great. That was easy. Did <laughs> you say something? Yeah. One time, there was a person who lived, in, who lived in India, and he was actually a teacher of many people. I don't know how many, but he, he was a noted teacher. And some noted teachers, it's amazing, are humble and are aware that they have something to learn. Some teachers are aware that they lack something in their understanding. But they don't get depressed about it. 
they just think, well, maybe I should, like, like uh, Judy, he didn't, well, he got a little bit depressed, but anyway, he lamented, but he was going to go and study with somebody else. This, this monk, this, this teacher was named Pukasati, and he was thinking, you know, I wonder if my understanding is good. And again, a spirit came to him and said, there is a teacher in this great land named Gautama Buddha, and he will be able to resolve your doubts. So Pukasati says, okay, and where is he? Or, you know, and somebody said, well, he's in, um, maybe in Sarnath? So he heads off to go where he thinks the Buddha is. <laughs> I'm laughing because it, some of these stories about the Buddha are pretty far out. This is one of them. There's eight million stories of Buddha. This is one of them. So as Pukasati sets off from his home towards where the Buddha supposedly is, the Buddha gets the idea to take a walk. And he goes by himself, not, not with a big entourage of students. And he takes off his makeup. His, his, he takes off his glamour. And he walks down the road. He doesn't look 16 feet tall anymore. He's not glowing goldenly. Looks like a, a wandering recluse. Not the glorious enlightened one. And so he's heading down the road, and he has a sense somehow of, to go to Rajagriha, where this Pukasati is going to go on his way to where he thinks the Buddha is. And Buddha arrives in Rajagraha before Pukasati. And he goes to a potter, and he asks if the potter has some place he can stay for the night. And the potter says, yeah, you can stay in uh, my potting shed. So the Buddha goes to the potting shed. And then Pukasati arrives. and says to the potter, do you have a place I can stay for the night? I mean, isn't that amazing? That we have a story like that, that the Buddha went to a city, went to a potting shed, where the same place where Pukasati went? How did that work out? This is inconceivable friendship. Like I used to say, you know, I, how can I be so lucky to meet Suzuki Roshi? Why me? How did that happen? Anyway, how did it happen that the Buddha went to where Pukasati was going and then went to the potter where that Pukasati was going to go to? He went before him. How could he even find him if Pukasati had gone? Anyway, Buddha went to there, and Pukasati comes to the potter and says, do you have a place for me? And he says, venerable sir, I do have a place, but it's already occupied by another mendicant traveler. But if it's okay with him, you can go ask him, it's okay with me if you stay there with him. So Pukasati goes to the Buddha, knock, knock, yes, can I stay in this potting shed with you? 
brother or friend? And the Buddha says, mm-hmm. But he doesn't know this is Buddha. He thinks it's another wandering yogi like himself, which is also true. So then they sit there together doing their meditation into the evening. And the Buddha looks at this person and says, this seems to be quite a good person here. Like, you know, he seems to be seeking the way. Looks like he's looking for a teacher, (laughs) even though he's quite developed. Perhaps he would like to hear the Dharma. So he says, so the Buddha says to Pukasati, perhaps you would like to hear the Dharma. And Pukasati doesn't say, you know, whatever man, you know, go ahead. He says, yeah, I I would like to hear it. And so then the Buddha delivers a discourse, which is one, and and, uh, it's quite long. And he starts talking away. And as he's delivering it, Pukasati realizes This is the person he came to see. He realized that this person is Nanchuan. He realized that it's the Buddha. The Buddha didn't say, I'm the Buddha that you're looking for. He just said, do you want to hear a talk? And he gave him a talk. And while he's talking, the guy sees it's the Buddha. And he lets the Buddha finish, (laughs) even though he realized that he has met the person he's seeking. And when he's done, he said, He's, he's been enlightened, right? He's been enlightened. He sees the Buddha without the Buddha telling him that he's the Buddha. He discovers the Buddha. With nobody, with no hints, <laughs> except a, a Dharma talk. So when you're listening to Dharma talks, as you're listening sometimes, you might find the Buddha. Even though before it started, you didn't see the Buddha. That's what happened with Pukasati. First he thought there was a discrepancy. He thought, there's this monk, and there's the Buddha or someplace else, and I'm going to go see him. I heard he's over there. I didn't know the Buddha came to Rajagriha to meet me. Can you imagine that the founder took this long walk to meet this guy? This is a pretty big act of devotion. Don't you think that this one guy got the Buddha to leave his whole Sangha to go meet him. Are you amazed by that? How nice the Buddha is? And then doesn't even tell anybody he's the Buddha? But that gives the monk a chance to discover the Buddha, the the real Buddha, not the famous Buddha, not the Buddha like, look at the Buddha over there. It's like, look at the Buddha. The Buddha's right here. The Buddha's teaching this one finger, but not pointing to the one finger, just being the one finger and letting Pukasati sit upright and enter that friendship. And so Pukasati says, after it's over, I'm sorry, I addressed you, you know, as friend rather than as friend, good friend. I addressed you as Mitra. I don't know if the Sanskrit is. I meant, I, I addressed you as Mitra, 
rather than Kalyana Mitra. I'm sorry. And the Buddha said, you have noticed your shortcoming and confessed it and said you're sorry and this is the Dharma. So even though we might miss the Buddha here and there and forget that everybody's our friend, just like Pukasati forgot, but was humble enough when he saw it to confess and repent it, this is the Dharma practice of somebody who's with the Buddha, being with the Buddha and missing it, and then being with the Buddha and, and not missing it anymore and then confessing, I did miss it, and I'm sorry. And the Buddha says, this is our practice. And of course, you have lots of opportunities for this practice in the city. It's really not that difficult to forget the practice, right? Not that difficult to forget, and it's not terribly difficult. It's pretty difficult to never forget, right? That's pretty hard to never forget. Even Suzuki Roshi seemed to forget sometimes in the city, and he also seemed to forget at Tassahara, but he could confess it. I forgot. (laughs) And sometimes he forgot and didn't confess it. And I saw him, but I, I didn't think, oh, he's not, he's not a great teacher because he forgot and, does, and sort of like pretending like he didn't. <laughs> Want to hear an example? So he's, he's in San Francisco, and he, uh, he walk in, he's, he's going to the toilet, but he, act, but he walks into the closet. And then he comes out of the closet, and his wife says, you're a Zen master. You should be more mindful. And he said, I'm thinking about really important things. (laughs) Which, of course, is true. (laughs) I don't know if that really happened. That's maybe what his wife told me. So if you have a wife or a husband, if they're your good friend, they can help you notice when you forget. In case, just in case you don't notice you forget, if you have some friends around here, they can say, did you just forget? And then you can go, no, or did you re- really not forget? I did, and I'm sorry. So wherever we are, we can forget, but when we forget, Although it's easy to forget, it's also not terribly difficult to notice sometimes when you forget. And also, if, if you have friends, with, then your life is more monastic. Because your friends, if you happen to not notice that you forgot, your friends can sweetly inquire, may I ask you a question? And you can say, uh, what is it? <laughs> say, it's a question about your practice. And you can say, okay. <laughs> and then they say, did you just forget to be friendly to so-and-so or to me? And then you can say, yes, 
I'm sorry. So it is possible in the city either to notice yourself or to have friends who care about you to check on whether you're remembering and when they, when they check on you to say thank you. Thank you for checking. I really appreciate your support. I'm not happy to hear that I forgot. It's painful to be reminded that I forgot. But thank you. Thank you for reminding me. I'm not happy to hear that I forgot, but I'm happy that you asked me. And I'm happy now that I now to remember and say I'm sorry. So I haven't learned much, but people are helping me and they appreciate that I'm trying to learn. I'm trying. I'm slow, but I'm making an effort. So please, if you think I'm forgetting, please respectfully check on me. And I vow to listen to your call and look at myself. Anything else you want anything you want to bring up? Yes. Um, so if you if you feel well talk about myself, right? So um, recently I saw someone and I didn't feel like being friendly. So I felt like I was lacking in compassion. And perhaps, you know, um, it's a way of repentance to acknowledge I wasn't being compassionate because I wasn't being friendly and yeah. to apologize. Well, first, to acknowledge, there's, there's two parts. One is acknowledge, I, I'm, I might not have been, I, I didn't feel friendly at that time. And then repent is I'm sorry. But then when I got to the I'm sorry part, I said, well, I'm having compassion on myself, though, because I wasn't feeling friendly. Yeah. And I was feeling the need to take care of myself. And I didn't feel like I could take care of myself if I was friendly to that person. Yeah. So is there a need for sorry there, or is being compassionate happening because I'm being compassionate to myself and in that way compassionate to the other person, too, perhaps, because I would have been even less friendly <laughs> if I had spoken to them. When I notice my shortcomings and I confess them, I'm being compassionate to myself. The other person may not, I st actually I might not even be ready to be compassionate to the other person. I might still be feeling a lack of compassion. So if I feel any lack of compassion towards someone, I might be able to notice that or somebody else might be able to ask me about that. And for me to notice that and confess it is compassionate towards me and then for me to say, I'm sorry, is further compassion towards me. Confession and repentance is compassion for the person who's confessing and repenting. And also the Buddhas, who you're confessing to, they are also being compassionate to you and supporting you in that. 
And then, as a result of that, you might say, and now I want to try to be compassionate to that person. You may never tell the person of your shortcoming. It may not be helpful to them. But, so now, you, but now, I'm, now I'm ready to be compassionate. And then you do, and you're a success at being compassionate. But first of all, you addressed the lack of compassion in yourself as, a, as an act of compassion. And then from that compassion, now you may be able to be compassionate where you couldn't be before. Is that clear? You look a little like it's not. Um, I think it's clear, but um, I don't see the application for myself in certain situations. So, because there's still um, this goal of being compassionate to the other person, looking a certain way, perhaps? Looking for a certain what? Looking, seeing the act of being compassionate towards another person. Yes. As looking a certain way, perhaps. There could be that, too. But before, I, before it looks a certain way, I receive the precept of being compassionate to others, of listening to their life of suffering openly, generously, carefully, patiently, I, I receive that precept, or those precepts. I aspire to practice them. I don't know what they'll look like. When I receive them, I don't know what they'll look like, because what they look like depends on what the person presents. It'll change. So I don't know what it's going to look like. I more receive the precept, aspire to practice it, and then I try to practice it in all different situations. In some cases, I feel like I missed the chance. I forgot. I don't know what compassion would have looked like had I been able to be compassionate. All I know is the way I was. Whether it looked like compassion or not, I felt like it wasn't. I felt nasty or selfish. What compassion might have looked like, I don't know. But now, I might have some confidence. I do so, I, I, now I see something which I do want to do, which is compassionate, and it will look like the way I do it. So here I go. I was stingy. That's how it looks right now. I didn't know beforehand it would look like that, but now it looks like that. I was stingy, and I'm sorry. That's the way compassion looks now. But it would have looked differently if it was something else. If I was confessing something else, it would have looked differently. So I just thought, while, you're, while we were talking, I thought of one time a, a friend of mine had a, um, a nice automatic pencil. And, he gave, and in front of me, he gave, it, he gave the automatic pencil to another friend. And I said to him, that's a nice automatic pencil that you gave him. And uh, I wasn't trying, I didn't know he had another one. But it turns out he had another one, and then he gave me the other one. And I said, thank you. And then I went home, and uh, I don't know if I said, look at the new nice automatic pencil somebody just gave me. I don't know if I said it or I set it on the table, but my wife said, can I have that? <laughs> and I said, no. <laughs> I did not want to give it to her. 
And I noticed that I didn't want to give it to her, but that's where I was at. I did not want to give it. But I also thought, gee, that's kind of like your wife. You won't, you won't give your wife an automatic pencil. <laughs> I felt kind of, you know, sorry about being who I was. But that's who I was. I didn't pretend to be, oh yeah, here, like, you know. I didn't want to give it to her, and I didn't, and I didn't give it to her. And I didn't fake that I wanted to give it to her. I, I accepted. I do not want to give it, and I said so. And I felt, and I felt, wow, wow, amazing. All the kindness that she gives me, and I won't give her automatic pencil. Wow. But that's, that was kind to me. Now, if you asked her, she, she might have said that wasn't kind to me. She might have said that. Uh, but actually, if she saw that I was aware that I was stingy and that I was amazed, she might have thought, that's a kindness to me. She might have thought that, but I didn't say it to her. The next morning, when I saw her, I gave her the pencil. The next morning, I wanted to give it to her, not because I was ashamed. Well, actually, because I was ashamed, but the shame brought me back to the precept. And then I wanted to give it, and it wasn't faking it anymore. I really was done with that pencil. <laughs> And so we have this, you know, yeah, she, she tests that all the time with me. <laughs> it's great. She's my friend, right? She keeps testing. Is, this, is compassion here? Is compassion here? Is compassion here? And whenever it is, whenever there's compassion, this is good, right? It's good. And so sometimes, and actually quite frequently, there's this wonderful thing in our house called compassion. And then she says to me, is that because of Zazen? <laughs> and I say, yes it is. <laughs> she knows that's what that she knows where that's coming where it's, everything good in our life is coming from Zazen. It's not coming from me. It's not coming from her. It's coming from our friendship, which is Zazen. And lots of good stuff comes from there. Everything good comes from there. And the more, the better. But no matter how much there is, it's all coming from Zazen. She doesn't say, is that coming from you? She doesn't say that when something good's happening in our life together. She says, is it coming from Zazen? And I say, yes. And then one more thing she says, I mean the ceremony of Zazen. Because we also enact it. It's not just from Zazen. We have to enact it. We have to sit. We have to go like this. Because without this, there can be a little difference between between whatever and Zazen, but we have to say, we have to say, we have to say, <laughs> we, have to, we have to do it. What time is it now? 11.33. <laughs> <laughs> 
See? Face-to-face -face transmission. <laughs> what time is it? I don't know. Face-to-face <laughs> <laughs> -face transmission. <laughs> 11.49. 1149, wow. <coughs> Look at that woman there. <laughs> she's not... She's our leader. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.